right now, for example, a lot of uh, international companies are relocating their R&D centers uh, mm. to China and uh, nobody is, it's not in the news. I'm really surprised because- Really? Uh, yeah, global, global R&D centers for automobile um, industry, global innovation centers for cosmetics, uh, giants are relocating to Asia because that's where the future of those brands is actually being built. And of course, the corporations, marketing and advertising models are going to change with all that. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Headstock with me, Lane Pringle-Schwitter, the podcast where we talk to C-level executives, leaders of institutions and heads of multinationals. What are the current topics they talk? We listen. My guest today was named one of the world's top 100 retail influencers by Rethink Retail. She is a thought leader, speaker, digital marketing guru, Chinese retail technology expert, and is the founder and CEO of two companies in advertising and digital marketing. This is the new series on Heads Talk, the retail series, where we talk to executive C-suite leaders, gurus, great minds, and seasoned heads in this space about, among other things, how this sector is morphing with the ramping up of the circular economy, social commerce, augmented reality commerce, and now Web3. But before we get into that, here's a brief message. I have two passion, creation and communication, and one mission, women empowerment. I linked my passion with my mission and created a silent mentor for women, the Delance Watch. Made by women for women, the Delance Watch is a sign of recognition for women who want to make the world a better place for all. I am Giselle Ruffer, the creator of the Delance Watch, the Watch Lady. Heads Talk Podcast with your host Elaine Pringle-Schwitter. Ashley Galina Dudaranok is the founder and CEO of Alaris, a Chinese-focused social media agency, and Chozan, a Chinese digital agency. Based in Hong Kong, she is a renowned digital marketing leader that wears a number of hats to include being a successful entrepreneur, best-selling author, and vlogger. In fact, her top-rated YouTube vlog covers um, Chinese retail tech, modern Chinese consumers, new retail ecosystems and of course digital marketing a regular contributor to media to include the bbc forbes cnbc the wall street journal bloomberg and others she's also a keynote speaker on the circuit there's a lot more i could add to this introduction but i'd like to start this conversation now so without further ado i'd like to welcome ashley to heads talk many thanks for being with us today hello elaine thank you so much for having me here it's a delight and thank you for joining me. Okay, um, we've got a bit to get through to today, uh, and I'm looking forward to your input in this new series of Heads Talk. Shall we start with this? It, it was something you mentioned, I think in one of your videos you mentioned, and I'd like you to elaborate on this. It's about China's online presence. Why is China the number one online retail market? Well, um, right now in the world, uh, which is extremely digital, China is leading when it comes to uh, online commerce and uh, starting from I believe last year China in China the number of um, online purchases 
in any B2C business has uh, been over 50%. So basically, it's the first country in the world where when we talk about retail, over 50% of that retail is done online. And what are the reasons for China leaping uh, kind of ahead? First of all, it's of course, we cannot underestimate the fact that China has a huge population of 1.4 billion people. And you are building the products, the ecosystems, the technology that is used at such a scale. That's very, very unique. But at the same time, of course, something that drives China's digital transformation in that retail space is uh, tech giants. China has six, seven, eight tech giants, and the core of many tech giants is e-commerce. For example, we all know the company ByteDance that is um, here in the West most known as the uh, company holding TikTok, right? So everybody in the West still thinks TikTok is a social media platform, when in reality, their strategy is to become the social commerce um company, right, tech giant of the world. And they are all about live streaming and short videos, et cetera, et cetera, ultimately understanding us, understanding our behavior, and then turning it into opportunities for business. So in China, these different ecosystems, doesn't matter whether it's Didi, for example, or Meituan, yeah, like food delivery ecosystem, or let's call it Uber ecosystem, right? Ultimately, at the core of many of those businesses is how do we do retail? How do we make sure that there are payments, there are services, et cetera, et cetera. So these ecosystems, these big tech giants, they are really moving China as a country, which is huge forward um, in this world. And um, of course, apart from all that, of course, China does not come with a lot of legacy systems. So when we look at the US or Europe, um, you are based in Europe as well. Um, I'm right now vacating in Europe. We see that there are legacy ecosystems like credit cards, like the habits that we've built, like the roads, for example, that we have here in Europe, they are built for, um, you know, the world of the past. And a lot Absolutely. And uh, but, but we talk about the future of mobility, where we have electric cars, where the pavement, the one that you drive on is charging the car as you go. Mm -hmm. So China, for instance, is building the cities of the future where the future of mobility is visible. So um, when it comes to payments, when it comes to their habits, when it comes to, um, you know, openness of consumers, etc, etc, supply chain, China has leapfrogged into the future without having to destroy or reimagine mm. those legacy ecosystems. And the final point why China is ahead is the fact that you know, China is operating under a very different uh, government model. So we can like it or dislike it. We can think that it's great or it's, it's uh, horrible. Uh, but ultimately, this model has allowed China to plan long term. When in the West, very often we plan for four year presidential terms and every Everything can change, right? China plans for basically 50 to 100 years and government announced five-year plans. So if you want to know where China is going as a country, there is a plan and they identify all these areas of development every time for the past 30 years they have reached their goals and in fact they overachieved them. So for example, right now a big development is, uh, you know, leading the AI uh, smart city, you know, online retail, et cetera, et cetera. All of these things are kind of announced. So being a government with vision um, and being able to organize tech giants, businesses, consumers, et cetera, et cetera, behind them to stand and act on and work together to achieve those goals. This is also a superpower that is very unique to, you know, to China's uh, operating model. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, thank you. Thank you for that comprehensive explanation. <laughs> you know, 
actually only yesterday I, I was talking to a colleague on the tech side who outlined his frustration about developing solutions in isolation without a clear view of customer behaviors so, so this next question is you know within retail space and e-commerce which one is dictating influencing leading if you like the other the customer behavior or the digital solution available what's your thoughts on this you know effectively who's the leader and who's the follower uh, well, it's well, at least based on the China model, let's say that models yes. are different everywhere. But in the China model, it is always the consumer. So today in 2022, it's all about co-creating everything with your consumer, mm -hmm. be it a product, be it a solution, be it your marketing communication strategy, be it your sales journey. Um, everything is co-created and mm -hmm. the most successful brands that we have in China right now, those that are actually challenging the big, uh, let's imagine um, an industry, let it be skincare as it's a mm -hmm. big industry anywhere in the world. So the companies that are challenging um, giants such as L'Oreal and uh, and uh, uh, SK2, uh, you know, Shiseido's, etc. are the new consumption brands from China that actually collaborate with their consumers in order to r and in order to do marketing, in order to um, uh, do sales. Mm -hmm. it, it's really about that. And, you know, a lot of people love talking about, you know, China's unique digital ecosystem from that aspect of, of course, they are unique because they did not allow, you know, Facebook to continue developing and, uh, you know, Google to continue uh, providing search services, etc. This is uh, absolutely true. They did not allow it because they had, um, you know, um, rules on where you can store that data and the fact that uh, if, there is any data being crawled in China, you mm -hmm. need to store it in China and make it available for the government, just like any other tech company within the region. And actually there was LinkedIn that for many years was uh, present both in mainland China and outside of mainland China because they chose to comply with those with those laws and regulations. But the thing is, of course, there's a kind of closed Galapagos, right? Galapagos had those unique animals that were only um, present in this um, uh, location. So the same with China. This closed ecosystem was able to create unique animals, these unique tech giants. But at the same time, you know, Weibo, for example, China's microblogging is not a copy of Twitter. Maybe it started as one, but then it evolved way beyond that. Why? Because they always stayed in touch with their customer. The same thing with WeChat. It is not just a copy of WhatsApp or uh, QQ. It's not a copy of ICQ. They started as one and then they evolved into something completely different because they continuously made it useful for the customer. So customer is driving the mm -hmm. whole, uh, the customer behavior is driving digitalization, innovation. Mm -hmm. uh, and of course, what the company needs to do, and that's when we come to the question, okay, do the customers actually know what they want? No, mm -hmm. they don't, but they know what they don't want. So you throw solutions at them and you test at scale and you see what stays and what goes. Mm -hmm. And this is the China model, right? And that is why you need to have scale. If your economy, if your user base is small, then it's very difficult to really test something and say, okay, is it working or not, mm -hmm. right? But when your user base is so big and you are powerful in terms of algorithms and data that you already have and prediction and all that, it's much easier. So this unique combination of uh, you know, circumstances and peculiarities 
make China uh, very well set for the innovation uh, of the future. Um, and customer behavior is surely driving this, coupled with digital solutions um, uh, very often presented and thrown at them for the picking. Uh, in my research, you talked a lot about the, the new modern consumer and in particular the new modern Chinese consumer. So thank you for elaborating on that. I sort of get an understanding of that and, and especially how consumer behaviors have undergone some changes over the, the last, I don't know, five years. Would you like to add to more towards the, the change in behavior? Oh, absolutely. So when it comes to China's, you know, change in behavior in the past five years, um, uh, well, one big um, theme is that China is uh, becoming more and more premium. So it's premiumization of everything. Why? Because the middle class is growing. And this is something that we cannot stop. And this is something uh, we want to kind of, um, you know, um, stimulate as much as possible. And as we have uh, middle class growing, uh, of course, that means that uh, people want more experiences, people want more uh, better service, people, you know, just like in any country in the world, but in China that happens with China speed. So it's a lot, a lot faster than uh, anywhere else in the world. Mm -hmm. um, and when we look at any and every uh, consumer group, uh, starting from Generation Alpha to we go Millennials, Gen Zs, then middle-aged men, women, and then we go even to Silverhead generation. Uh, each and every group has changed significantly because right now they can afford something more premium. They are looking at the quality. They are looking at lifestyle. Um, we also have another big trend, obviously, which is the fact we have less and less children. This is a global mm. phenomena. And for China, that means elderly have more time for themselves. And right now they finally not just act as nannies <laughs> for their grandchildren, but they also start having hobbies like photography, like uh, obviously they dance uh, very happily in the square, uh, mm -hmm. square um, places uh, all along but right now it's just becoming becoming the thing right there is an app that specifically focuses on people over 60 it's called Tangdo uh, that go to the public square to dance and they can purchase it's also an e-commerce platform where you can purchase yourself silk scars scarves and uh, you know all that stuff so it's very interesting to see how such small things like okay let's have less children not small things they are big things but they are not happening one day to the other but in five years you can mm. see how that transforms the fabric of the whole society so having less children having more money becoming more middle class focused um, and of course uh, another thing that changes people's behavior is a lot of pressure uh, there have been news um, you know about 996 in china it's not a new phenomenon it's been going on for 10 15 20 years Mm -hmm. And basically working a lot, right? And thriving mm -hmm. for success and wanting money. And at one point, people just say, you know what? No, it's okay. I, I can live a more modest life, but a more balanced life. So all that is kind of playing and definitely um, shapes what a China uh, consumer is like today. And uh, the final uh, kind of summary that I would like to highlight here is that China does not have one uh, Gen Z, one millennial, one silverhead generation. It's a country of 1.4 billion people. People in the West and in the North and in the South of the country are completely different. So we look at mainland China market more like Europe. You know, Spaniards do not behave like Germans, even if they are in the same age group or with the same kind of habits. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so uh, yeah, China is very complex in that respect, but the main trends are quite universal, quite global.
who would have thought having fewer children will impact the the older generations in such oh, a yes <laughs> that's that's interesting to to hear that from you let's let's talk now let's talk about e-commerce platforms um I'll mention two to compare, but if you've got um, a better two that you'd like to do a comparison with, feel free to do so. How would you compare the operations of uh, Amazon to that of Alibaba? Who, who has the more current model? Who would you say is on the pulse of consumer behavior and needs? Um, well, it's very difficult to compare Amazon and Alibaba because they have different, uh, you know, different operating models. Um, Amazon is um, basically a place that aggregates a lot of products and delivers them to you at a convenient, you know, location uh, quickly. And they uh, collect a lot of data. And if something works, for example, there's a brand that does something extremely well, they will copy it, produce it cheaply mm -hmm. and try to compete with you. And they are a supply chain business plus they are kind of white label business. I'm not an expert on Amazon, so I'm sure there's a lot of people that can explain their business model a lot better than I do. But when it comes to uh, you know, Alibaba, this is a company that has 100 year strategy. And when you open their, um, I do not know, uh, Q1 financial report because they are publicly listed or when you go to their events for media or for internal stuff, you will see that they actually live by that vision that in 100 years they want to transform the world um, of everything and they care about manufacturers, the small manufacturers, they are, for example, empowering um, Alibaba villages. So these are small collectives in some rural areas in China where Alibaba comes in and says, hey guys, you, for example, have great baskets or leather products or whatever. So I'm going to empower you to come in um, and sell it and make them available, you know, all across China, etc. So uh, Baba uh, has a vision. They do not want to compete. They want to empower. Mm -hmm. And the business of course, is still advertising business. Once you get onto the platform, uh, it's still about you know ranking high, and it's still about all that. But Alibaba, just like all other platforms, at least if we're talking about uh, Alibaba, has many different platforms. But let's uh, talk about uh, Tmall in particular. Um, they are they have already shifted from displaying products what we have on Amazon to have making it a portal for information. So there are videos, there are long descriptions, there's a chat function, there's a live stream that's mm -hmm. happening on the page. And in China, uh, many, for example, Gen Z consumers visit Tmall eight times a day. Mm -hmm. Why? Because it is more like social media. You're basically uh, checking what is trending right now. You're speaking with your friends. You're stalking some of the, mm -hmm. you know, celebrities or some of the friends. It's a completely different behavior. It's more like social media. So yeah. right now the merger in China is happening between pure e-commerce platforms that used to just sell products and social media platforms. There's nobody purely in yeah. any corner. And for Amazon, uh, as much as they try, it's not really working yet because it's a different mindset. It's a different mm. kind of company. And Alibaba, of course, well, Amazon as well has a lot of data, but Alibaba has been collecting data about Chinese consumers. Uh, and they have, if I'm not mistaken, 850 million people registered with Alibaba, which is majority of able um, population of the country uh, for the past 20 years. So these guys have phenomenal algorithms. Actually, it's called Alimama 
mama, so the mama of Ali, <laughs> yeah, which is the core and heart of this data analytics. And they are providing these solutions uh, for their whole ecosystem and sometimes even for those outside of their ecosystems to understand the consumers better and co-create the products together. For example, mm. uh, you want uh, you 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 are a I do not know chocolate company, and you know that these are the people that purchase your 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 chocolate. And right now, there's ingredient, uh, let's say red beans, that are extremely popular in China because whatever um, we think that with COVID, red beans really help uh, to strengthen your immune system. So then the recommendation will be made. It's called uh, you know um, uh, uh, basically black box kind of recommendation. They say, hey, do you want to create a red bean chocolate? chocolate flavor and then you create it in a small um, uh, small scale you test it if it works then you can launch it bigger online and offline and more and more companies uh, in both mainland China mainland Chinese companies and of course global uh, international companies such as L'Oreal such as Nike such as um, um, Cadbury etc they are actually collaborating with uh, platforms such as Alibaba to co-create platforms and Amazon is not in that business Amazon is in a different business and they're very successful at what they do. Hmm. Okay, um, I, I, there's a, one or two questions I wanted to ask in that space, but I'm, I'm conscious of the time. But there's something I wanted to continue with and, and let's go there. This is to the, the union of social media and commerce and, and, and the status of this buying and, and selling model. Can you elaborate on its growth if you can? And this has happened quite rapidly in the last few years. Why is that? And where do you think this is going? Uh, well, it's um, buying and selling online. It's socially. Yeah, and socially, it is it is the future. Like this is the way where commerce is evolving. There's no more battle between all social commerce and traditional commerce or e-commerce mm -hmm. or whatever. Mm -hmm. it, it is just a natural evolution. Um, I believe that what we see in China right now with the live streaming, with the uh, private uh, traffic, with the group buying, this is all going to come to the West just much, much later. It will, it will come to um, Southeast Asia and Africa and the, the, you know, Latin America much faster. And then at one point it will, you know, come here as well, because this is the new way to interact in a broader uh, in the broader world, we cannot um, be not social because we are social animals and social media is giving us opportunity to show ourselves, to connect with others, to explore. And social commerce is about being where your customer is, not trying to pull them into your app. And this is a big shift of, uh, you know, kind of mindset that what we have in the West and what we have kind of in the East. In the East, you're trying to be where your customer is and then from there on, co-create even better environment. But uh, when we talk about social commerce in, uh, you know, in, in, in Europe, for example, everybody's trying to get uh, that new app and then make it really social and shareable on social media or whatever. It's, it's, a, it's a very different mindset, mm. but I think it is the future of where we are going, um, the, the, whole, the whole live streaming, the whole group buying, the whole social commerce. There's no way around it. Basically, um, it, it's inevitable. So inevitable. It's, it's a watch out and see in, in the West, but at the moment it's happening quite rapidly in the East. So we probably need to watch this space and then see it um, enter into the Western 
market. Okay, uh, we cannot escape this ne next topic. It's it's one of the, the hot topics of the moment, and this sector is really impacted by it. This is the, the sustainability agenda. Yeah. So, so, so within the retail space, how are sustainable solutions and operations viewed within the region? That's Chinese, that is. You know, is it welcomed, hurting business, etc.? Explain. Absolutely. So uh, there is a big green agenda globally right now. And of mm. course, China has also committed to the, their carbon neutrality by 2060. It's an ambitious target for a country that is uh, basically the manufacturing hub mm. of the world. But uh, they are, I mean, if China's committed to something, we can say that they will most likely or very, very likely um, uh, reach it. And right now we are kind of behind when it comes to consumer mindset, because yes, everybody wants, you know, green products and sustainable solutions, but nobody's willing to pay for it. Mm. Um, and I think this is something that's happening in the rest of the world as well. It's not a problem unique to China. Um, most of the times when people think about you know green and sustainable solution it's all about packaging when it comes to you know retail they just think okay less plastic and more uh, sustainable packaging but it's not really about oh buying less or um, let me stop eating meat or let me buy locally because I don't want to fly it from you know mm. the other part of the country so it's it's still a bit far away from the from the real um, change in consumer behavior that will make an impact. Um, but this being said, companies, uh, tech giants, uh, small, uh, smaller uh, brands, they are making an impact. And I believe that within the next three to five years, there will be a significant shift in the consumer mindset mm -hmm. when it comes to the sustainability. Uh, COVID has thrown us back by yeah. two three years unfortunately because in a time you know in a crisis like this uh for example we all know shanghai and actually more than 40 uh, other cities in china are right now in the patrol of full lockdown so some of our colleagues in shanghai for example been uh, on the lockdown for 55 54 days which is quite crazy so of course in times like this you're not thinking about all oh, sustainable solution you just want something mm. to buy and you you, you know you, you've got your priorities completely changed but um it is it is nonetheless going to uh, going to happen and um, we already have even chinese brands that are a lot more you know responsible and uh, we right now still unfortunately have a lot of fast fashion uh, in china but slowly and gradually there is communication about for example second hand we call it vintage right mm -hmm. so previously it was unthinkable for a chinese consumer <laughs> to purchase something that is vintage because it was second hand it means you don't have money why can't you get yourself you know i don't know a new new pair of jeans but right now it's becoming more and more cool especially when it comes to uh, you know luxury brands but we're not talking about high luxury we're talking about kind of premium high quality brands and this shift is happening so imagine this we get one way or another read of cheap cheap fast fashion and then we go into um, premium uh, brands and higher quality and then we can also have a little bit of this shared economy where for example in china we have startups if you have a child uh, every month you receive mm -hmm. a pack uh, with like 10 little outfits for a child of your age and then every month you send it back so basically you're borrowing this cool outfits uh, for your kid because the children you know grow fast and uh, this is just 
part of sharing economy and it's working uh, at a smaller scale so far but it is working so don't you think don't you think that will become a bigger scale don't you think that is where retail is going the, the fast fashion the fast fashion model is going to end and it's going to be a sort of like a recycle yeah. model for retail and people will adjust their thinking and then maybe as a cultural shift i don't know adjust their thinking in that second hand is not a negative but it's the way to be Yes, it will definitely end. Uh, it will end. It will, it will just not end tomorrow because yeah. from yeah. what we see right now, especially with COVID, the mindset is, okay, we want greener stuff. Let me yeah. buy fast fashion, but in a better yes. package. We don't want to pay okay? so, so we focus on the wrong. It's a bit like, it's, we, we like the concept. We understand the concept and it's a needed concept, but not for me at the moment. It's a bit yeah, like yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, now um, with this next question, I think it's divided into four, four sections. Can you sort of be as, as brief as possible? But um, I'm sure you're going to um, be very interesting in terms of the answers that you provide with this. This is now us looking to the future. You talk about China's 100 year plan, 50 year plan. But I, I, I'm talking to Ashley now, looking into the future. Imagine it's okay, 2030 or even later than that. Take my listeners through a few points. Um, and the first one is the retail ecosystem of the day. What would that look like? Right. So by 2030, at least in China, that has been announced by several entities, including Huawei, we will have already a commercial 6G. And 6G, oh. that means that we are going to have holograms, we're going to have um, even some things like Ascent being able uh, to transmit to you know other uh, parts of the city or location uh, via this digital means so it's going to be a completely different world and the retail ecosystem of the day will be very much virtual beyond online or offline emerging right now we're talking omo online merging offline but by 2030 we're going to be standing at the beginning of the virtual retail ecosystem age where yes we have physical and non-physical but beyond that we have holographic projections and we truly live in the ready player one society we will be standing at the beginning of that road at least here in asia i do not believe that this is going to be so visible uh, for instance in europe by that time wow that's that's fascinating. Okay, let's, I'm conscious of time. The second, still in 2030 or beyond, what will consumer behavior and consumption be in this space? Um, I think it will be a lot more spontaneous and a lot more curated. So we will not spend so much time trying to find things, but we will be um, the algorithms, the bloggers that we follow, the ecosystem that we are a part uh, of will provide us options and we will spontaneously in the moment mm -hmm. select and uh, and uh, essentially uh, go for option A on option B. And there will definitely be a community where we can um, provide our feedback, co-create with others, share, cross-sell, et cetera. So it will be more like a global vi village in a very curated bubble. People mm -hmm. are gonna live in a bubble of their own data, of their own you know, habits, which mm -hmm. is both kind of convenient, but also not always, you know, not always great. Um, but yeah, I see that happening more and more. Why is that not great? What is the negative that I sense? 
Um, well, if you are in your own bubble, for example, um, let's imagine I love, uh, you know, I love uh, certain style of dresses, for example, fitted dresses, and I don't like anything that is more uh, oversized. So I will never really try anything else um, uh, beyond what is being recommended to me. So the discovery of something completely new uh, will probably be um, more difficult because you as a person will have to put a lot more effort into that so you will be recommended things that you might like and you will follow people usually we follow people that we kind of can relate to right yeah. so that will create a tighter and tighter bubble kind of self-reinforcement uh, ecosystem right but at the same time going for something completely new and probably discovering the other aspects of your personality of, of your I don't know desires of your interests will be more difficult not impossible but just maybe slightly more difficult all right. Okay. Thank you for that. Finally, finally, what excites you about what the Gen Zs or, you know, the younger generations are doing that will mold digital solutions going forward? Um, I'm actually most excited about Generation Alpha. I think Gen Zs are so overrated. Oh, they're old now, aren't they? <laughs> they? They are really old. I mean, these guys are like almost 30. What are we talking? Why are we talking about Gen Zs? I mean, what I love about, you know, being in Asia and seeing the future being built firsthand is that solutions in at least many Chinese ecosystems are being right now developed for generation alpha so the battle for the future is with gen alpha not with gen z's mm. uh, and these guys in my view they are a lot more balanced they are a lot more green they are a lot more um you know harmonious human beings mm -hmm. in general and this is um, this is beautiful to watch. So I'm really excited about Gen Alpha. They are digital, but at the same time, they are not so extreme or individualistic or cutthroat. And I think this will be, in general, good for our planet and for our yes. world. Yes, yes. Um, uh, so I'm very, very excited to see how they are going to mold um, yes. every service, every every aspect of our life. Uh, in the future and in the west and i say collective west everything outside of you know asia mm -hmm. um i think it would be great if we could focus less on gen z's and creating solutions for today and thinking about the future about gen alpha and how to really create that more inclusive world mm. wow wow that's good that's good right another one of your topics that you talk about on the speaking circuit and I'm sure on social media as well, it's the augmented reality commerce. And, uh, you know, I'm in the West, so I'm talking about the current stuff, I'm afraid, and the metaverse. How do you think that will change corporations of today, corporations' marketing and advertising model? You know, there must also be a leap for the research and development department, a complete overall, in fact. Uh, absolutely. You need to start uh, developing for the future. And... Um right now for example a lot of uh, international companies are relocating their R&D centers uh, mm. to China and uh, nobody is it's not in the news I'm really surprised because really? Uh, yeah global global R&D centers for automobile um, 
industry, global innovation centers for cosmetics uh, giants are relocating to Asia because that's where the future of those brands is actually being built. And of course, the corporations, marketing and advertising models are going to change with all that. Um, it's not about pushing things onto someone. It's not a one-way communication. Uh, the difference between um, media and social media is whether or not you reply the comments, whether this is ongoing communication and not just replying the comments, but actually acting on them, right? Co-creating mm -hmm. a product, co-creating a marketing, uh, co-creating a brand, co-creating a culture. And uh, th there's no way around it. This will have to happen. Wow. You know, let's conclude this episode or let's talk with this final question. Um, ask all of the guests in the series. And based on what you said thus far, I'm really excited about what you might come up with with this one. What is the solution that you think has yet to be developed but sits firmly within the retail world once available? Um, if we could um, shop um, within a game, right? It's a gamified version of reality. Um, if we could experience a product, if we could experience a service, if we could experience the joy of discovery, learning about something, and at the same time, um, uh, you know, purchasing it all in one go, uh, you call, <clears throat> call it metaverse, or call it, you know, kind of the future of retail, that would be phenomenal. And I think we're going into that direction, but uh, I don't think any one company will own a solution like Meta. And uh, I think that it's really about co-creating a new version of reality that is connected with physical world. Uh, if we do the Mm, mechanics right if we do the algorithms right if we give the right incentives not go into metaverse to be sold things but go into metaverse to work to uh, have fun to meet friends right mm -hmm. that would create a fantastic new mm, universe a parallel universe where you could actually also have a fantastic business so i'm very excited about this space and i think there's no way around it this will happen you know, this is without a doubt um, one of my favorite episodes of Heads Talk. Just listening <laughs> to you talk, and I, I do hope you will join us on Heads Talk another time in the future, perhaps next year. Uh, I'm, I'm sure my my audience will love this episode as much as I do. Ashley Galina Dudarinok, many thanks for your time and insights. Thank you, Elaine. It was such a joy. Thanks for joining me today on this episode of Heads Talk. Don't forget to subscribe to the show via my website, elainepinkle.com forward slash Heads Talk, wherever you get your podcasts. Finally, I'd like to thank our sponsors, guests, and you for helping to make the show possible. Please join me next time where I'll be featuring more executives, C-suite leaders, and heads of multinationals. Heads Talk podcast with your host, Elaine Pringle-Schwitter.